Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of November 25th, 2021. Thanksgiving week, 2021. I'm Charles Hain, filmmaker and doer of things. And I'm here with George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. Hello. And filmmaker and writer Kath Tolentino. Hello. And this week, we're going to be talking about talking to your family about your work in the film industry. We're going to be talking about Vitek buying Savage which is like my favorite business news deal of the week. And we're going to wrap up all of that with a good deal, bad deal about travel times and not getting a hotel room this week on the No Film School podcast. All right. Our first story this week, actually, George, this was your idea, so I'm going to let you introduce it, but I really love it. So I'll, I'll introduce it with this is an awesome thing to talk about. Oh, cool. Well, I appreciate you putting it that way. And now there's no pressure for us to deliver on the segment. <laughs> no, this is the thing. Like, I have had this experience a lot. It came to mind as we approached the holidays. Many of you are enjoying the holiday season with your family, friends, givings, whatever you do. You know, all my life as a filmmaker or person in and around this industry or artist, creative person, these sort of things always introduce this moment when people ask you, so what are you working on or what are you up to or how's it going or, you know, what kind and these of films do you make? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a version of it that's like, oh, you may, you're a filmmaker, you know, like before she was my wife and she was my fiance, she'd introduce me to her family and be like, he's a filmmaker. And I'd always be like, oh God, like now what's the question? <laughs> oh, anything I've seen, you know, like, or, or, or just like, yeah, no, um, <laughs> you would know probably like, or, um, what's, you know, and then you go down your resume and you're like, okay, what's the coolest thing I can mention? That's mm -hmm. like, I've had something to do with. And then it's like, kind of the, you get those glances or those questions that are like, oh, you, you make, you know, sometimes people are pretty out in the open with it and they're like, and you like full time or like you make enough money doing that. Or like, you know, how does that work? Or God, it must be tough, you know? And it brings on a lot of feelings, right? Like a lot of self-doubt or just imposter syndrome or just questions of like, you know, is it a real thing that I'm even, am I really even doing it? Or like, and, and for some of us, sometimes there'll be a couple of years where all we've done, maybe all we've done, I put in quotation marks, like is write a script or work on a draft. And maybe we like take it out, but nothing comes of it. Like, and people, I remember a couple of times with the questions were like, so is what happened with the script from last year? You know, this is, this is a hard thing. So I bring it to my co-hosts here and also to all of you to like, one, we feel your pain in the Bill Clinton sense, but also like, God, that's a dated reference. Um, <laughs> That's from a and really complicated. Yeah, that's a debate. Even, I yeah. actually don't really get that reference. Yeah, he <laughs> he said it in a kind of a cornball way in a debate in like 1990. So wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, let's not dwell on that. Some people listening probably got remember, but let, let's forget it. I can't believe I brought the Clintons into this. <laughs> Regardless, it's a painful thing. I, I identify with all of you in experiencing it. I'm curious how you guys. Feel about it, handle it, and I'm curious how other people do if they want to email in. Man. I got like a billion on this. <laughs> Go, Go. I got like so many. Okay, so the first, and I'm going to start with my father-in-law, who I like genuinely like. And as I've said many times about my father-in-law, like all he wanted was like an athletic son, and he got three daughters. 
And then he was hoping for athletic son-in-laws and like, <laughs> I am the most athletic of the sons-in-law. Which well, you is wrote like, a book on bikes, so. Yeah, but like it's such a, I'm sure it's such a disappointment for him, but it's such a gift to me. It's the only time in my entire life I've been the most athletic at anything. And it's like of the son-in-laws, I'm the one who like wants to ride bikes with him. So like I'm very lucky for my father-in-law. But you know, one time we were like watching a movie together once, I think it was over Thanksgiving weekend. And he's like, hey, you're so lucky that you ever got to work in movies. And he, he said it so clearly as a like, that was a thing that happened and now is done thing. Cause you know, I haven't made something in like three years or whatever. And mm. so, you know, in, in normal people's world, you don't do something for three years and that is now over and closed. And, you know, it like it, that kind of thinking happened so often that it didn't really bother me. Cause I was like, I like you and whatever. It's not that insulting, but it's like for normal people, you don't do something for three or four years and that is over. Like you're no longer, mm. you know, like he was a parole officer and like, Three years after the last time he parole office, he was no longer a parole officer. But like for me, like I still think that I'm going to make more things. I'm making a thing next year. I'm like, I shot three things this fall. Like I still think of it as alive, but he just doesn't in a really interesting way. So like I think it is an important thing to talk about as we enter into this Thanksgiving weekend and talking to relatives and people we know. I mean, there is always that question of like anything I would have seen, which I I fully recognize as people being polite and trying to find a way to connect. But I also like, you know, during the periods of my life where I was just working on purely commercial stuff, like, no, you might not have seen this weird ad that I shot for the Mexican market that I think is really cool, but didn't play in America. So (laughs) no, but it was awesome. And I was really proud of the, you know, it's like, it's a weird thing. I also had an experience once where I was at a bar with a bunch of friends and like somebody asked me what I did and I gave this answer and another friend was like, oh, wow you've practiced like that answer was so solid. It seems like you practiced. And I was like, Oh, but like, I have thought about how you answer that question. I had a production company and you get good at answering that question where you find the things that make sense to people because it's really hard. You know, like most people don't know what color grading is. Most people don't know what like a production company really does. You know, I think it's okay to practice this answer. Like it feels a little silly to think about it, but like thinking about a concise way, you can say it in a way that makes sense to other people I think is fair because it's really hard to answer what we do and it's really complicated. Oh, I remember at the time the production company had founded had just gotten nominated for an Academy Award that we didn't win. Like we produced a short film it didn't win the Academy Award and it, you know, for like the next year we mentioned Academy Award nominated. I remember this one guy being like, oh, you were nominated. Did you win? And like, it was such an interesting <laughs> moment because within the film industry we all know Academy Award nominated means you did not win. But like, Outside the film industry, this totally normal person was like, oh, you were nominated. Did you like, and it was, it's, I always think about that as a great reminder that like, there's so many things that within the film industry, we know exactly what something means and normal people just don't. So yeah, I mean, it's a really, this is like a really good subject to talk about strategies for. And like my strategy is like, it's totally okay to like have something that you plan ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's two different kinds of situations that you will find yourselves in this holiday season. The first one being people who you're meeting for the first time at a holiday party or through your significant other or whatever, who find out that you're a filmmaker and then ask some very generic question knowing nothing about film. And then there's also relatives or close friends that you'll encounter who maybe you haven't seen in a little while who are asking you about the progress or status update of your career in film and there are two different questions (sighs) and both of them are difficult (laughs) 
But I think like in the sort of like meeting a new person situation, I feel like there's two ways to handle it. One is like actually try and tell them something cool about what you do to create that connection with them. Or there are people who ask you this question like, oh, tell me more about that, who actually like genuinely don't care, who are just trying to make conversation. And if it's a situation like that, just say like, oh yeah, it's cool. You know, my career is going well. (laughs) You don't have to necessarily (laughs) take it further because they won't know what you're talking about and they don't really care. But truly, the question that I hate the most is what kind of films do you make? Which for some reason, like, Anytime someone finds out I'm a filmmaker who I'm who I'm not already acquainted with, that's always the first question they ask. And it's so generic. And it's like, it's just a difficult question to answer accurately. So for a long time, I was trying to come up with like, oh, I make narrative films, but people who don't work in film don't know what narrative films are. Oh, I make fiction films. And then they'll continue to ask, well, but what kinds of films? And I don't really know what they're searching for, but I realize that in those situations, I just have to name a specific project that either I am currently working on or have worked on in the past just to satisfy, like to give them something to picture in their minds, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it took me like a decade to realize that I think what that question is, is do you make comedies or dramas? Is that what it is? <laughs> I think that's what that question is. Because like, like, I have the same thing where I'm like, that is my trigger question, where I'm like, what kind of films do you make is so triggering? I hate that <laughs> question. <laughs> it's so funny. But like, I, yeah, I think it is literally action or comedy. And they want you to say one or the other, which is crazy because if you think about all of our favorite filmmakers, they've been all over the map. Yeah, but like you know, but like I think that's something that even a bunch of normal, even people who should know better, fall into. I remember once reading this was after Eyes Wide Shut came out. Oh no, Kubrick died before it came out, so maybe this was really rude. But like I read a review of Eyes Wide Shut that was like, I don't understand why the sci-fi director is so overrated, and it's like Kubrick did one sci-fi, two thousand one. Doctor Orange is like, I guess sci-fi as well, so he did two. But of his nine movies, two were sci-fi, and this film, you know, like. There's this desire to put people in categories and boxes to make it easier. And this one Mm -hmm. film reviewer refused, uh, wanted to think of Kubrick as a sci-fi filmmaker. And I think there's like, I think there's assumption about a lot of people that there's like one genre or thing that we are interested in, that we are like desirous to do. And I think that's like a really interesting thing about people that can be very triggering when you're like, well, no, but I'm interested in all sorts of things. Like I simultaneously think Shanghai Nights is a great movie and would be interested in doing the third Shanghai Nights film where they make it to Hollywood after Shanghai Noon, presumably Shanghai Dawn. And (laughs) I'm also interested in like crime. And like, those are two things I find fascinating. But like, would I ever say I'm like a true crime filmmaker? Like, no. So like, and yeah. like, also, if you've only made shorts, are you supposed to say like, oh, I make short film? I don't know. It's just like such a lame answer. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I ask because I don't know. You know, I didn't bring this, you know, sometimes we bring up things where we have an idea 
of what the answer is. And I feel like a lot of times on this podcast, I think, you know, do we have, do I make the mistake? I'm not referring to either of you, but I think, do I make the mistake of, of acting as though I have answers to everything? Because I really don't. We're just attempting to answer things. But I found this to be, you know, now I am the editor in chief at No Film School. So that's an answer, you know. But I found, <laughs> I found this to be in, in the time before I was doing stuff like that, that pretty much took up my time. This to be a very stressful question and a very unpleasant sort of experience or conversation. Because even if I had done something, you know, even if I was coming off where I could say like, you know, oh yeah, through the course of this year, you know, I, I was a production manager on a couple pilots for Comedy Central. Like, and this, that's like a legit, you know, what is a production manager? Well, I'll explain it to you and go into the weeds. Even that, which is like, you know, that's an answer. It still stressed me out. Like it still made me uncomfortable. Like it was just like, because... And I think this is why for me, this the trigger for me, you know, there's the old saying, like everybody has two expertise, fields of expertise, their business and show business. <laughs> I feel like that applies to politics now and, and a number of other things, but it used to just be like Hollywood and whatever they do. That's what everybody's an expert on. But I think that it's like people have, just like with sports, like anything in entertainment, opinions um, about it because they go see movies and watch TV shows. And their opinions can vary in how well-informed they are. They could be a huge fan of just finished products. They could be the kind of person who loves to know how the sausage is made and loves going to movies. They could also just be a casual, you know, I'll, I'll pop something in and kind of stare at my phone and whatever. Like, I love The Office or whatever. And all that, in all that big range, when you say, oh, I work in the blank, somewhere around it, it generates an, an immediate interest because they're like, oh, I love The Office, <laughs> like whatever it is. And then you're like, yeah, no, I don't work on The Office, but I know a guy who does, you know, like, and that, <laughs> but like that, the whole dynamic is uncomfortable. I always felt like, cause if you just say, I used to always observe everybody else, if they ask like, so how's work? What are you doing? Uh, you know, it sucks. I work at a, you know, I, I sell insurance. <laughs> Something like, that. like, it's like, it's like cut and dry. Like nobody really wants to know anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, that's the end. Like, oh yeah. I, uh, like, well, sometimes I'll just say, I don't even mention what the no film school website is called or what it does. I'll just be like, I'm the editor of a website. That's enough to like, most people don't want to know more. So maybe like, <laughs> maybe for me, it's that it's like, because entertainment, like people want to dig in and they want to know like, well, did you ever work with Tom Cruise? What's he like? You know, it, it just opens up this whole thing. This Pandora's box of people's interests and opinions and judgments that, frankly, a lot of us are not like it's the thick skin thing in some way. But a lot of us, I think, are just not like interested in being judged as like, oh, you only worked on a pilot, so you're like where you know bottom rung or Man, something you like got a that. Harsh family, you only well, worked on you know, a just pilot. Say, like, nobody ever said that to me. <laughs> that's that's George talking to George. But like that. But what I'm saying is that people, in general have so many opinions. They only know the big stuff. That's what they see sure. in the theaters and on streaming. So when you talk about, I make shorts, it's like, well, is there any money in that? Or like, uh, or like, or, you know, like, like, how do you support yourself? Like I, some people are nosy. And even if they're not asking those questions, it may make you reflect. So I think what I'm just trying to do ultimately is like give voice to this is a tricky experience for us, all of us. And, you know, if you feel weird about it, you're not alone. There At least there's, the three of us to join you. There is something to be said for like 
Well, first of all, George, I'm glad that you brought up like, oh, I know someone who worked with Tom Cruise. Because sometimes that can just be a fun road to go down. It has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And they can just kind of like shoot the shit about whatever. Like, I'm really, I'm really glad that I met someone at a party who is a crew member on Ancient Aliens. Because then I can bring that up and be like, no, I know someone who worked on Whoa. Ancient Aliens. It's the most ridiculous <laughs> show ever. Let me tell you about it. But Well, I'll, I'll tell you the downside to that really quick. I do remember at one point, so I was like, yeah, a couple of the, the guys, like, you know, Rick and Morty, I know those guys. I know all of them, you know. I said that because it's true. I've known them since long before they were famous or And then successful. they're like, get me on that show. I want to know. What happened was I got an email like way later that was like, hey, man, can you get me a signed blah, blah, blah? It's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I cannot. I wouldn't even ask if he was my best friend. Totally. To send some random dude like tracked me down and was like, can you... Or even worse, if they're like asking for a job, like I'll take any job. Like producer's assistant is fine. (laughs) Like cool, cool, go Uh, away. (laughs) I've asked for those. I mean, like yeah, but anyway. But I I do think that there is. I do think there is something to be said for like at any time of year, like working on your pitch and having it ready to pitch with confidence and grace. And as much as that is really hard to hear. If it's a project that you truly care about and you're really passionate about, like treat it as an opportunity to tell people about it and be proud of it, you know? I love that. That's I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's the perfect advice. Because here's the thing. You're going to have to pitch your project to dozens of people that make decisions about whether or not there's money. So you should practice on people that probably are not going to make decisions about whether or not there's money. But you get an opportunity to like share your enthusiasm and see what about your project might be engaging to other people? Oh, and when they're tuning so out. Good. And when they're tuning out, because that's super important. That's so good because, you know, one of the things that you always hear in these screenwriting books or these pitch whatever things is like the practice your pitch on people who are just random. And I remember reading one that was like, go up to a stranger in the coffee shop, like anyone's going to do this. I mean, some nut probably has, <laughs> or many have. But like you go up to a stranger in the coffee house and be like, hey, can I pitch you my movie? God, if someone did that to me, I would be like, calling the cops but anyway if you if in, if you use these situations to go talk to them about something you're excited about and see if they react that's a learning experience for you so it's like you're getting your it's like a sparring session that's great that is great advice yeah it's a laboratory yeah well, it's also like i've been doing this i was about to say but for the last couple of years i just start talking about whatever i'm writing right then like i spent about a year working on a script about napoleon hill so whenever anybody asked i was just like oh i'm working on a thing about napoleon hill do you know who he is and then i would just like sort of soft pitch the idea and see what was interesting to other people about that and so yeah i think that's really like incredibly solid advice because that's, it's like yeah yeah it's a concrete thing and it's also a good reminder that if you don't have a concrete thing you're working on you should have a concrete thing you're working on like you know, if you don't have a thing, get a thing going. The other thing is that this is a bigger problem the closer you are to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Because because Los Angeles is a city where it is a very common party question to be like, oh, what do you do? Whereas, like, I tell you what, I've, like, tried to practice asking that less in my life living in New York. And in New York, it comes up way less hmm. often. It is way more common to just, like, Start talking about, like, it's still movie stuff. Like, what have you seen? Like, oh, have you seen this? Oh, have you seen that? Did you see? Like, that comes up a lot conversationally with people who don't work in the industry. Or, like, what fun stuff have you been doing lately? Have you traveled? Like, those kind of conversations are way more common. And, like, 
there are people that like I've known now for a couple of years where I still don't know what they do. That's so <laughs> wonderful. So funny That's if so we had all these listeners. I agree. I love that. I, I've had friends where I find out like I met them at the gym or something and I'll find out way later, years later what they do. And I'm like, fascinating. That guy's a talent agent. I had no idea like, or something yeah. like that. But he seems so nice. In, no, in New kidding. York, you can go to a party and just get through the whole party with just banter. Like you don't have to talk about yeah. anything work related, but in LA, any social it, situation, go, oh you have to enumerate every single project that you're working on, everybody famous that you've met or know. It's horrible. Ugh, I know. It's terrible. No, I, rem- I remember once I went, I was at a Halloween party and like I was in LA, I got used to living in LA and you know, I like, so I asked someone, I was like, oh, what do you do? And she was like, that's the dumbest question. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so you I was like, are you aware of <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like, also, you are here at an LA. Like, I, we were at a party in the Hollywood Hills, you know, like big costume Halloween party. You came to the city. Like, don't blame me for your anger at all of Los Angeles. But she it's might so have been baked. right, but she was mean. Yeah, shoot, that sounds mean. I, it's so baked into my experience that I, and I think because I'm an Angelino, and I realize that like when you don't know, it's just people like. It, this is going to sound a little Marxist of me, maybe, but limiting people to their career is just weird. Like, it seems like a distinctly also American thing to do, to just be like, you are, you know, what you do and what you make and what you've done, as opposed to whoever you are and what you like or what you're interested in. Like, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that it's kind of like, maybe this is also a plea to just stop asking. To the, yeah. all the non-film people who are listening to the No Film School podcast right now. Yeah. Or just, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, just yeah. everybody in general, like maybe we shouldn't care so much about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think even within filmmakers, it's kind of fun to just talk about other things than what we do or what our latest thing is and just talk about all the other things in our lives, which is like kind of a problem because sometimes as filmmakers, we don't have other lives, but we should. Right. So, I am also um, always our- interested in what my friends are working on. Like I, I just am, and and ho- and I don't want them to be stressed out by the question. But when you talk about it with your friends, it doesn't feel stressful. When my I friends ask so. me what I'm writing, it never feels weird. It's That's always true. the like, you know, we're just meeting people, and it's like, oh, what do you do? And what do you do? What do you, you know? It's always that. Yeah. Um, I, before we close this, I did just want to circle back to say because I get the question, what kind of films do you make? So often, I feel like other people must as well. A good answer to that is literally just pitching your film. Like, you don't have to say what kind of films you make in any way, except this is the film that I'm working on. This is what about, this is what it's about. And this is like why I care about it. And I just wanted to like put a pin in that because I think it's a really, I realized this lesson very recently. So yeah, practice your pitch. That's all. Yeah, I love it. Moving on to tech news. It's weird tech news, but I wanted to talk about it because I really like it. So Vitech group, bought Savage Seamless. And I thought I think that's really cool. So if you don't know Vitek, Vitek started as like a tripod company. You can still buy Vitek branded tripods, but they've grown to own like many, many companies. So they own SERP, they own Teradek, they own Small HD, they own Manfrotto. Vitek is like a very large company at this point in terms of these brands. They own Joby, who make those like cool, fun little tripods. If you go to NAB, the Vitek group are always all together at NAB and they have a large floor presence. They make cool stuff, but they bought Savage Seamless, which like, if, okay, so if you don't know Savage Seamless, they're more popular with photographers than they are with filmmakers, but it's like when you roll a sheet of paper behind a subject, it's called Seamless because you don't see a seam. It's just like all a solid color. You see this really 
commonly in advertising, but you see it in all sorts of places. And that's Savage Seamless. Savage, I mean, if anyone else makes Seamless, I'm unaware of them. As far as I can tell, if you are buying a Seamless, you are buying a Savage. I'm sure I will hear on Twitter from like the other big Seamless companies, but it's just Savage as far as I can tell. Vitek buying Savage is fascinating to me because it's Savage, which first off seems much smaller than all the other brands. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are buying rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of Seamless, but like, you know, it's like $50 a roll, $70 a roll. It's not that expensive. I can't, I don't know how much of it is being bought, but then I realized this, which is in some ways Seamless is becoming a default option for YouTube. Like when you think about a YouTube look, there is very much a like, well, YouTube shot with a bright yellow seamless background, bright pink seamless background, bright purple seamless background. And that is becoming kind of a thing. And that's how I think it becomes strategic when it moves out of just being like a still photo thing, which is really like a different market. Because the idea with like being a big conglomerate is like, well, we're a big conglomerate, but we're all targeting the same customers and we, we get a combined marketing space and whatever. So when I was thinking about Seamless as really a still photo thing, that really had me thinking one way. But now that I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this is rapidly becoming the face of YouTube. I came around on the idea. So I thought it was really fascinating that Vitek bought Savage. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. And then last, good deal, bad deal. A friend of mine got offered work on a feature in upstate New York. It's two hours from the city. Or like hour and a half from the city no hotel room so the expectation is commuting to and from very rude (laughs) right Mm -hmm. right dangerous so i mean i'm not even going to give any more details when i say like what the fuck dangerous you would think after i i was so pissed when my friend called me with this like it's up to new york it's like some cool indie filmmakers i've always wanted to work with it's like you know and this friend does own a car and so it's like oh well you know some days, like if, if I time it with no traffic, it'll only be like an hour and 10 each way. But it's like you don't control your own schedule when you're working on a movie. So like, yes, there will be days where it's like a really short trip upstate. There are also going to be days where you happen to drive out or back and nail traffic and it becomes two and a half hours. Like that's going to happen. So yeah, my thing was like, no fucking way. Like there's just no way. And what flabbergasted me and the reason why I wanted to make this good deal, bad deal is like after Rust, which, like, there's so many problems with Rust. But one yeah. of them was that they refused to give anybody hotel rooms, and they made a joke about it, where they made fucking t-shirts in production celebrating the fact that they couldn't afford to pay for hotel rooms. They didn't use the money for the t-shirts to get people hotel rooms. <laughs> they bought t-shirts making fun of people for asking for hotel rooms. I think the t-shirt said Albuquerque's only an hour away, which is, like, so fucking infuriating. And this offer was like two or three weeks ago, which is after fucking Rust. And I was like, could we not have six months after Rust where we don't do this shit? Oh, I was so fucking mad. Anyway, that's why that's good deal, bad deal. Yeah, I was once, I did a feature at the edge of the zone in LA, which like a film ranch where we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but the zone is where you're allowed to not get a hotel room, essentially. Like people can wrap, go home and come back. but. I, as you know, I was producer and it was cheap and I had to make, I was like first one in last one out on that. And I would be in like, after a night shoot on a grueling schedule, driving back in traffic 
<laughs> rush hour traffic of the morning to get whatever sleep I could before mm-hmm. heading back out. And I was like, this is not safe. And that was all within the rules, within the rules of SAG. And, you know, we, we were cooperating and it still didn't feel good. So look, it's easy for me to say with not being in production and making those decisions, like you got to make those decisions. And if it's legal, a lot of times people will do it and I get why, but man, like even if it's within the reasonable zone, it can be rough. Like you said, there's just one little traffic thing and what happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, it probably is legal. An hour and 10 minutes drive outside of New York's sound. I don't know what the zone is, but it sounds to me like it could very well be in the zone, which makes it really tough because it's our current system that we're up against. So, you know, the fact that the producers aren't getting hotel rooms, it's probably quote unquote within their right not to get hotel rooms. But as a crew member, you do have to evaluate, like, do I really want to deal with this? And it is really dangerous. I mean, the only thing I could say is like, what kind of turnaround are they going to guarantee you? But then again, it could change. It could be like, well, we're just running a little overtime, you know, second meal. And then then what? You know, then how tired are you going to be? Yeah. I wish the rules were a little different. Like, I wish it was more punishing to productions because I think it should be harder to get out of town without hotels mm-hmm. personally. So, yeah. But it's, yeah, that's a tough call to, well, I don't know. As someone, you know, I live in the Bay Area. The zone is determined by the city of San Francisco, but I live an hour south of San Francisco. So, you know, on jobs when we were going an hour north of San Francisco, my commute would be two hours. But as a crew member who's non-union, it's hard to say, like, well, can you get me a hotel room because I live far away? Mm. These are really tough, tough situations. True. But on the flip side, I feel like by recognizing this is a bad deal and, like, getting more unit, like, Frankly, a job an hour north of San Francisco should be getting everybody hotel rooms. Like, as someone who's been on the producing side of this, you are constantly aware of a producer that you're going to be required to spend money on stuff to keep the crew happy. And we develop these norms of like, oh, that's within the range, so I'm not going to have to get them hotel rooms. But like, I know I'm going to have to get them good food, and I know, oh, it's a hard day, i got to get better food, or there's going to be snacks. Like, I'm always aware I'm negotiating with a crew of human beings. And if producers start to get the impression that you're like, oh, a lot of people are going to pass on this job and it's going to be hard for me to crew it if I'm not giving hotel rooms, eventually you're going to find the room in the budget for the hotel rooms if the project's going to happen. I would say you'd have to build the budget differently and get more money. But yes, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still aim for it. I can just hear the echoes of, yeah, but that's not going to show up on the screen. I mean, it is actually, right? Because the quality of your crew and their restedness and like all that stuff cascades into what your end result is. But there's just going to be this like, yeah, but like a dolly I can see, you know, or, or a star or whatever. But yeah, I'm in total agreement. I'm just also thinking of like, I did shoot. I remember peeing in New York and the, the great advantage there was that the subway, the endless subway rides I had to take, I could sleep on. Like mm. the driving really creates this whole other like I didn't have Well, a- except I will say this, a friend of mine got mugged sleeping on the subway. And mm. I don't think he would have been mugged if he was awake. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I also missed my stop so once like- and ended up in a weird place. <laughs> it's it's uh, Charles, I think the situation with your friend is yes, like it's a bad deal, but at the same time it's not it's not so out of the ordinary. Like an hour and 10 that feels to me like it's so common. 
if a producer presents you with that now, I'm not saying it's safe or a good idea, but it is such a common thing. Yeah. No, but that's the thing is that like, I think the whole, for me, what's fun about good deal, bad deal is I want to talk about like both what is normal and what is actually a good deal and a bad deal. Yeah. And for me, I think this is totally normal and that most people would have taken it. And I told my buddy that he shouldn't take it and he didn't take it. I mean, he had already not taken it. I don't think he didn't take it because of my advice. I think he just decided for himself it was dumb. But when talking about it with people, I think he got a couple of people to give thoughts. And I was one of the people being like, no, this is dumb. Mm. Like, we have to stop taking these things that are just the wrong for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to, like, do them. And I'm like, I think we just stop now, guys. Yeah. Like, I think we just stop. Speaking of, we're going to stop the podcast for this week. Uh, that's been a No Film School podcast. <laughs> nice. And that's my best wrap up the entire time. I'm Charles Hane. I'm on the internet at the Charles Hane for, or just charleshane.com and Charles Hane on Instagram and Twitter. And this has been a good episode, guys. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving and enjoy answering your family when they ask you what you've been up to. Yeah. Uh, I'm Catherine Tolentino. You can find me online at catherinetolentino.com. And I recently deleted Instagram from my phone to preserve my mental health. So don't follow <laughs> me on Instagram. I'm George Edelman. I'm the editor-in-chief at No Film School. You can find me at George Edelman on Twitter, at George Edel on Instagram. I have no mental health left to preserve. You can read about everything we wrote about, <laughs> everything we talked about today on the podcast at nofilmschool.com and a lot more. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or take care of your mental health and delete both apps. And we're also on Instagram if you want to find us there. Check out the interviews on the podcast. They drop at the beginning of the week, Monday or Tuesday. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe and leave us a comment. And before I forget, we have some comments to read. As I've said before, through the end of 2021, we will be reading, or I will be reading, comments left with a five-star rating on iTunes. So be sure to leave a five-star rating, leave a comment. We will censor certain things. I should be clear about that, but you know, within reason. So here we go. You've got yourself a deal. Five stars in exchange for wielding the power of your microphone soul. My name is Spencer Sherry. I'm making a Stephen King film out of a story that's never been adapted before The Monkey. And you can follow it along with this exciting and unique opportunity at The Monkey Short on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, fellas. Keep up the good work. I enjoy your content very much. Good luck, Spencer. Keep us posted on how it goes. The perfect show for anyone in film slash TV. Documentary filmmaker, editor of Mission Man Media, who also has some availability in the spring to edit your doc, would not be the filmmaker he is without the No Film School podcast and website. And speaking of websites, be sure to find Mission Man Media at a website near you. Seriously, the insight and experience and passion and desire to pass all that on to others makes this maybe most important podcast for content creators out there. I never miss an episode. Thank you so much, Mission Man Media. That's very kind of you to say. And good luck with the project and keep us posted on how the website's going. No film is the holy grail. As a teenager who's trying to learn the film industry and decide how to break in and break through, the No Film School is a blessing. Thank you, Tailored Trainers. Always happy to help young people 
decide whether or not this is something <laughs> they want to do. Regardless, we love having you listen, keep us posted on what you decide and if you enjoy it and what you're learning and if you have specific questions, because we want to answer those too. And we want to continue to engage with all of you. So be sure to do so through our editor's inbox, through these comments. It's great to hear from our listeners. Thanks so much for listening.